I'm back with the PBM princess herself, Miss Rachel Strauss. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you here in the new studio. And, you know, just, a, I guess I say a quote unquote quick trip up 45. Or did you fly? In I from flew. Houston? I flew. I figured as much. Were you in town for other reasons? Did you have some other stuff I around I did make this? some other meetings. Okay. But, what, but you figured. But this now, is the I figured. What was that all about? But you figured I didn't drive. What is that all about? Well, because I wouldn't make okay. that drive. Okay. Uh, all honestly. right. All right. Just curious what you're calling I mean, me does the PBM princess drive herself? Uh, I do. I go, you know what? I, I have a rule now that I try to not drive any more than four hours um, in, in, in a day. And it's really about safety and about, you know, the multitasking that I think all of us do when we're sure. on the road. I mean, listen, I'm really good at putting my phone on the seat. I actually turn it on silent. I make, you know, if someone calls me, it'll be on my Bluetooth. But I don't have the self-control to not check emails. And yeah. so, you know, if I'm going to be missing more than four hours of emails and it's, you know, does it I give you anxiety work. knowing it that? It gives me anxiety. Yeah, and it's, listen, I will tell you, I, I understand, you know, the importance of our jobs. I love what we do. But I do have to check myself sometimes because we are not doctors. There are no lives that are, you know, going right. to be lost if, I, if Rachel Strauss does not reply to an email. <laughs> but I do believe that... Um, I want to know what's going on. I get anxiety. I so, yeah. um, it, but that's the I, unplugging is the hardest thing in the world for me. Like I told somebody this the other day, like the idea of taking a nap like scares me because I can't like even if I'm disconnected for 30 minutes in the middle of the day, even on a weekend, I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I got to be doing something. And it's I'm able to like delegate or not reply, but it's the unknown. That's yeah. what I hate. I hate not knowing. What so. is this opportunity that's it's well, or, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I, I want to say it's a perfect world, but or somebody's a problem. You know, you yeah. want to be able to fix things. Totally. That's what we do. Well, I'm in agreement with you. I'm not giving you a hard time because okay, I'm in good. total agreement All with right. you. But let's catch up real quick. I know obviously you've been on the podcast before. You've yes. also done some of the uh, kind of road show, shorter versions of the podcast. But real quickly, just in, in case anybody, this is their first introduction to the PBM Princess. Who are you and tell me what you do? Sure. So yeah, I have this ridiculous nickname, PBM Princess. I've decided to own it um, mainly because why not? I mean, I don't. I didn't hate it. You know. I mean, well, I was, and somebody else gave you the name. It's somebody not like else. You I did not coin that. it. Yeah. Somebody gave me the name. Probably. I, it started because um, I was doing an art project with my daughter. This was pre-pandemic, and glitter got on one of my proposals. And the <laughs> consultant I was with made a joke and basically said, "I feel like you would still put glitter on a presentation if you could." And I was like, yeah. "You know what? I probably would." So That's it, it kind of started and. You know, I think, Spencer, as we, you know, everybody in this industry and what I believe is really, you know, the people who a lot of, you know, are recognized and respected mm -hmm. are people who are authentic. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not authentically a princess, but I'm authentically me. So, yes, that's kind of what I've gone Well, with. and it's not like, again, you didn't give yourself the name. Yeah. And it fits. And what's wrong with having, you know, a recognizable persona, Thank right? You. We're yeah. all obviously in the sales world and you have to make yourself memorable well, somehow. So exactly. PBM Princess is a perfect way to, to Thank do that. Thank you. So, yeah, so I've been doing this, you know, PBM gig uh, 21 years. Okay. Um, I've spent my entire career with EHIM. I have um, a little bit of a different path to, you know, this industry in that, that I started in underwriting for yeah. pharmacy benefits and then kind of through my career and really learning that my favorite part about underwriting was not just the numbers. I do love the numbers, but it was really when a broker consultant or somebody would call to ask about the numbers mm -hmm. or would say, hey, I have this proposal versus that proposal. Can you figure out what's different? And can you help me understand? And yes, that's, you know, kind of getting into sales ter territory because I wanted to sell our numbers. But I also understood 
really how this industry worked. Mm. And it really gave me the background and passion for helping people and educating about the industry. Cool. Very cool. And you, you mentioned by the numbers, and we're going to have a conversation about the numbers of PBMs here in a moment. But I think probably what might be appropriate is since there's been some uh, recent changes in the world of EHIM that were announced publicly a, a few months back, or how long has it been since it the acquisition? It has been since July of 2022. Okay. Okay. So a little less than a year now, but obviously yeah. with that comes opportunity, maybe some changes operationally and processes and things like that. So why don't you talk about what's going on there? Sure. So last um, July, EHIM merged through acquisition to a company called ProCare RX. Okay. Um, ProCare is a privately held company. It is owned by a husband and a wife. Uh, they founded the company, I believe, 37 or 38 years ago, right about the same time EHIM was founded. And really, ProCare made their name in the pharmacy benefit industry as a systems company. They're, okay. they're really known as um, primarily for backroom technology. At one point, I believe they housed, um, I think, 70% of every pharmacy transaction in the country was oh, going wow. through their system in some capacity. Um, yeah, and really, they've evolved. Um, they do own a few different PBMs. Um, and with the acquisition of EHIM, really what this was about was giving the ability to EHIM, you know, really somebody called it recently a glow up. It is a giving glow a glow okay. up. And, okay. and what that means is that they do not intend to change EHIM. They yeah. do not. In, in fact, um, they're adding to our workforce in Detroit, which was our corporate office. Yeah. Um, ProCare is headquartered in Gainesville, um, Georgia. So that's where, you know, the, the bulk of the executives are for their company. They also have offices in Puerto Rico and in Florida. Oh. And to hear, you know, as a, I am a Detroiter natively, <laughs> uh, even though I've spent almost 10 years now in Texas, um, you know, to hear that they're hiring and, and continuing to grow this, what was originally a Detroit-based company is what you want to hear when sure. your company is acquired. Well, um, well, so talk to me a little bit about uh, the, the story of EHAM, if you could just elaborate on kind of the strengths you had prior to sure. the acquisition and maybe what would have attracted a ProCareRx to acquire you guys. Yeah, sure. So EHIM, you know, we really were and, and continue to be the this, this beautiful pharmacy benefit manager that really, you know, carved our space um, and, and, and the hallmark of what we were, which was that EHIM believes we were transparent before it was fashionable yeah, to be so. Yeah. Um, EHIM, for lack of a better phrase, was known as the quote, you know, no rebate PBM. Mm -hmm. um, our CEO, Mindy Fink and founder, you know, when she started the company, you know, she had a background prior to EHIM working in a doctor's office in a nursing capacity and, you know, saw pharmaceutical reps and saw the power they held on doctors. And it was right around that time in the 80s when she started EHIM that physicians were being hammered for getting, you know, there was all these anti-kickback laws going into play. Yeah. You know, the doctors could no longer go to Hawaii because they were the number one writer of Lipitor at the time, which was a big <laughs> cholesterol drug in the 80s. And really, doctors were going on trips for writing their drugs. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with about efficacy. It had to do with money in somebody's oh, pocket. Yeah. And that got, you know, really hammered. And Mindy believed that the next logical space for this to happen would be on the payer side. And so okay. Mindy, and listen, Mindy for the 35 years of this amazing company that she built, created, it, it, it quite literally was her child, you mm -hmm. know, and she was able to hang her hat and, and retire saying that she did every day what she believed in. Which oh, is, did she retire as a Mindy part of Mindy has it? stepped back, yes. She is no longer um, running EHIM operations, but she got to finish her career and, and really say she did 
to the end what she believed you know was the right fit for her you know for the members yeah. for the clients that we served um ehim did not participate in rebates and you know it with any company spencer and, and this is whether we were acquired or not i mean this part of what keeps a pbm any any company relevant mm -hmm. is evolution yeah and you know part of i think what has happened in the last few years and and where the acquisition came to be was really I believe there was starting to be a fork in the sand, you know, okay. with kind of that uh, Robert Frost tale of two paths, you know, which one are you going to go down? Mm -hmm. And what I did think the two paths be rebates or no it rebates? It wasn't just rebates okay. or no rebates. It was how do we evolve and which okay. way do we walk down? And, you know, the good side about, you know, transparency is that rebates are evolving. You know, they, they're no longer necessary. They, they don't have to be there. They're still games that rebates play. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we can talk about that later in the hour, Please, but yeah. it's, you know, I think it's really, it was about, okay, if EHIM were to, we're, we're constantly figuring out what is in the best fit for our clients and mm -hmm. how can we be transparent about it? The other piece was in that name of transparency, evolving from a data perspective, really okay. being able to give our clients and our brokers, you know, the best access to data possible. Mm -hmm. and, and to be honest, that was one of EHIM's, it, it wasn't a wart, but it was because we spent so many resources managing the spend, managing mm -hmm. members' behavior and formularies, which we were, I will tell you, I believe best in class at doing, we weren't evolving the tech. Yeah. You know, we, we weren't evolving in, you know, the online access, looking up pharmacies, being able to get, you know, from a broker perspective, pull their clients' claims immediately. They had to come to us and we had to get them the claims. And it, mm -hmm. was, it wasn't as user-friendly as I think some of the industry was moving towards. And it, it's not a simple click of a button for any PBM to give access like that because it's, it's a tech side. And so I think as Mindy was evolving and determining where we would live, who would help us with the tech, I, I think ProCare being best in class at that back room for PBMs, you know, they, a lot of PBMs live on ProCare systems. I, you know, they're, they don't own the PBM, but they hire ProCare to back room. Mm. And so I believe in the conversations she had with Roger and his executive team at ProCare, the founder, I believe that's where, you know, the conversations began about what if EHIM were to become part of the ProCare family I of see. companies. And well, you, you certainly don't have to... Um, advocate for me the power of technology or the need for technology and software yep. to solve problems. I mean, it's funny in my space, you'll, you'll see brokers that use all these sophisticated underwriting tools and AI and all this stuff. And then they're still spreadsheeting benefits in Excel, which don't get me wrong. I love Excel, but it's like, there's, there's so much, so many pieces of our business that are in need of a digital transformation and are kind of stuck in this old mindset of ways of doing things. Of course, obviously my, my bias is towards plan site, but it makes sense, right? If you guys do a lot of things very well, but if there was a perceived deficiency in tech and somebody comes in and says, Hey, we've got the tech and we do this back room for all these other PBMs. All you're doing is really supercharging the, the value proposition that EHM has. Right. And, and I think the other piece, and you know, I don't got to shortchange and I know that this will probably raise some questions in the future is the other piece that EHIM was known for in the industry is for more than two decades. Um, EHIM has really had, you know, we believe we pioneered specialty drug savings ah. and, and really not just savings, but specialty drug strategies mm. and how to, you know, create formularies that are, you know, built from an efficacy standpoint, but also to make sure that cost containment and, you know, really making sure the right drugs, right time, right patient are put in place. And so I believe, you know, that umbrella is called EHIM Cares. And it's it's more than just specialty drugs. It's, it's everything that we put into the formulary design and, and management. 
And I think that that was one piece ProCare, you know, they had a version of, but, you know, it, it may not have been as user-friendly or it wasn't as evolved. You know, I, I, I don't want to shortchange what ProCare has done and, and is doing for a number of clients. But by coming together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, when you're an employee of a company that's acquired, I think, you know, I've, I worked there for 20 years right. before we were acquired. And There's it, always a little bit like, well, what's going to happen? What's going right? to happen? Yeah, it yeah. was very emotional. Yeah. I mean. Um, well, especially the relationship you had with Mindy. Too, I, right? I yeah. had a very close relationship. You've been there 21 years, 21 you said. 21 yeah. years. Yeah. You know, when she told me I, it was done, it wasn't like, hey, we're thinking about doing this. It was like, we're done. Like, I, ah. I sold. It wasn't, I'm thinking of selling. It was, I sold the company. And, okay. and it was, and, and, and you know, she did tell me face to face. It was not like an email. It was, and, and by the way, just because I got to talk about Mindy for a minute. I mean, Mindy told every employee one by one. It was, and, and once she announced it, had one-on-one meetings with all 200 many, of our employees. 200, wow. Well, one-on-one, sat in her office, wanted people to feel okay, feel excited. And, you know, this was not... You know, when you hear acquisition, I'm, I'm not really into the M&E world. I mean, my mm-hmm. closest thing is I know, you know, Richard Gere did that in Pretty Woman. You know, it's <laughs> like I'm not really, I, I, I can use the words, but it's not really my, so you hear M&E and you hear, you know, all these horrible stories of companies yeah. being dissolved or broken up or, yeah. you know, or worse, in my opinion, when you talk about acquisitions in any space and you find out, well, what is the motivating factor? Is it private equity and all they care about is EBITDA and all they care about is maximizing mm-hmm. what you're earning and... Because that's going to change a company whose primary interest is solving. It might change the culture. It changes the culture. And and I got to tell you, I think maybe because it's a family business, it it feels the same as EHIM. It's got, they care about people. They care about making sure we're, you know, we feel good. Um, And that doesn't mean there's not stressful days. But Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, even on a stressful day, the person I report to make sure I still feel appreciated. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe I need to look at something from a different angle because we all constantly need to evolve even as people and be critiqued in our own roles. And now I have fresh perspective on me as an, as an employee, but I feel appreciated. And I think that my colleagues would agree that, you know, they, they're very excited about, you know, what we bring and, and continue. Well, now I was going to say, well, so I, one of the things that I wanted to cover this with you, right, because it it was going to slightly perhaps alter, um, going forward yep. a little bit of what you talk about. Yeah. But what I do want to make sure with the audience here is you are my go-to person when I have PBM questions. Oh, I love right? that. You are literally the person like, hey, what do I do? What do I mm-hmm. need to know? What, how, what's, what should I think about this? Not necessarily you're, you're telling me what to say, but it's like, hey, I know I trust you to tell me what's what. Yeah. Um, the, our new CEO that came in, he said, I don't care what it is as long as you tell me what it is. It's, yeah. it's knowing, even if it's bad, you tell me what it is. So why don't we talk about PBMs, where we are in the marketplace in sure. general today? And the, the kind of the most obvious question to me that I've had my own, and you actually said this to me the other day as well, is like the question of why are there so many PBMs. Yeah. There, there, I don't even know how many there are, but there, there has to be There's a lot. The and I'll, I'll uh, tell you, I, I, my husband is a broker um, and he gets, you know, hit up by so many PBMs like, yeah. hey, I'm going to be in town. Can we meet? And he has a canned response. No, I'm so sorry. I'm married to my PBM. And yeah. like, they're like, well, no, you got to hear it. And he's like, no, 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 literally, literally, I am married to my PBM. And yeah. unless, you know, the client of mine wants whatever. So I do know there's a lot. Yeah. And, you know, before I answer the question, I'm going to you know, come back to the Uh-oh. expert in the self-funded space, okay. self-funded with Spencer. Yeah. Why are there so many MGUs in the, you know, in the stop loss? In the stop loss world? Yeah. Um, one, I think it's just, there's an immense opportunity. The last number I've seen is like, it's a $27 billion industry in, in growing. So if you get even just a tiny fraction of that, that's a lot of money. 
And two, I think because it's a model that's been around for decades and decades, I mean, you can replicate it with good people, a little bit of expertise and some sales acumen. I mean, it's not like you're building sophisticated technology that requires millions of dollars of investment. You just really need good people and know what you're doing. Yep. So that's probably, I mean, that me just kind so of brainstorming I hate, out loud. I hate that you just kind of gave the answer, but oh, okay. I, I wanted to frame it because it's it's not that much different. Yeah, okay. I mean, in the PBM space, it's, it's a decades old industry, right? I mean, PBM started in the 80s, really, is when the first one started around. And, you know, when you think about the opportunity in the industry, and it's a multi-billion dollar industry, oh, yeah. and there's multiple ways to do it. And, and the, uh, the final piece, and, and this is different, um, I think, than necessarily the stop loss world, is that you don't have to do all the services yourself to represent a pharmacy benefit mm. manager. And, and I've learned that so much, especially with the acquisition, because of the back label, you know, things that ProCare provides. Quite honestly, to PBMs, I had no idea and, you know, saw them as competitors. And, okay. you know, so for a PBM to start, you know, if you just want to, you know, a lot of these new PBMs are really marketing PBMs. They are oh, taking really? That's it? back okay. room functions. Some of them, you know, don't own their own network. They're leasing somebody else's network. They don't do their own clinical. They're using another company's mm -hmm. clinical. They don't do their own rebates. The majority, by the way, of PBMs do not. Do, and now, you know, rebates are as a category. I thought well, I knew let, a lot. Let's, well, well, we're going to yeah. spend minutes or not yeah. 10, 15 minutes on rebates for sure. I want to do Just to understand how many layers are yes. even within rebate aggregation. So many PBMs are not doing their own rebates there. And that's, and by the way, when all these PBMs use the word transparent, they're transparent because they're not doing these functions themselves and they can transparently tell you all these things. Mm because they're using outside companies that are not as transparent. Well, so I, I won't say who, but there is a, a there is a a model like that in the TPA space that they're basically the back room for all these TPAs that you have no idea they're doing all the actual blocking and tackling. Correct. And like you said, the front facing TPAs are mostly the marketing engine around it. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but that, that sounds like that's what's happening. It, it is. And, and so, you know, and that's why, and you know, when you talk about PBMs and you talk about, you know, vendor selections and how do you pick a PBM and what, you know, in the spreadsheet game and using all these different things, it's, it's, it, it, it's, awful because it's a game and everybody's interpreting things differently mm -hmm. and there there's not an even playing field and and that's why with P, there's so many PBMs because everybody's taking one piece of an area that you can critique and they're saying we're the best at that yeah, you know you've yeah. got PBMs. everybody's everybody's the best that's right what you've got a PBM that I know that's out there that their whole entire marketing strategy is their contract and they're like we're going to give you all the terms you want you uh -huh. know and so the question is is okay if they're giving a consultant, all the definitions that they want, right. you've still got to figure out where's, what are they missing or who's doing other things behind the scenes that maybe they're not controlling. You know, okay. they can control their, it, it, it's complex. It's, it's, but again, that's why there's so many PBMs, you know, everybody's finding, I mean, look, Mark Cuban just is start is getting yeah. into the game. Yeah. What, what is your kind of opinion on that? As objective as you can be, I'd like to hear sure. the model. And then why do you, why do you even think Mark Cuban got in this space other than money? Well, um, the first thing I'll tell you is I love that Mark Cuban got in this space, but primarily because I have friends now, not in our industry yeah. that like had no idea what I do for a living. But now that Mark Cuban's talking about pharmacy benefit management, all it's all like, sudden interested. oh, like, is that what you do? Is like, is it better? Is it worse? It's <laughs> like, I literally, like, I have friends Spencer for 20 years will tell you I'm a pharmaceutical rep. It's like, I'm exactly <laughs> not a rep. Yeah. Um, I'm the opposite of a drug rep, in fact. But, you know, I think Mark Cuban entering the space. Well, first I'm going to say Mark Cuban literally is best known. I mean, here in Dallas, I know he is known for many things yeah. outside of this. But nationally, Mark Cuban is known for being a what? 
uh, owner of the Mavericks. Well, no, that's in say. Dallas. <laughs> that's I'm saying what nationally, what is what word comes well, shark to shark tank? First word? What? Shark. He's a shark. A shark. A shark okay. doing okay. what? He's there to make, make money. Yeah, to make okay. money. Okay? okay, so I don't want to, I, I do believe um, in the benevolence of Mark Cuban. I think he is wonderful. He's philanthropic. Um, I don't live here in Dallas, but yeah. I imagine he does incredible things for the community. So I do believe, I don't, I don't want this to sound like I am discrediting the, yeah. but Mark Cuban's a businessman. Of course he is. Yeah. And you know, if you are a businessman, you know, I think you find a need. What did he find a need? He found a need because as an employer, he saw the games that mm-hmm. especially the big three PBMs were playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He saw an opportunity, right. To come mm-hmm. in, but he also did it to make money. Of course. Right? So it's, it's well, and I wouldn't begrudge him of that that uh, decision either. I mean, why would you build a business? It's not to lose Correct. money. Correct. Right? So okay. it's, I, I think yeah. that you know, I don't think he's the savior of the industry. But what about the model itself? Because to me, it sounds like reference based pricing. And so it, is it's, it, is it, it's kind of like reference based pricing. But in in my opinion, and again, I, I don't, I, I haven't gone behind the weeds. I, I don't okay. know his PBM. But from what I've seen, from you know, repricing and looking at different things. You know, everybody attacked the pharmacy benefit industry, you know, 15 years ago for spread pricing. Mm. And spread pricing for listeners that may not be as familiar with this concept, you know, it's basically when you take the cost that you are, you know, negotiating with a pharmacy when the PBM does, and they mark it up, and that that's where their profit comes from, is okay. the markup in what the pharmacy's billing and what they charge the client, mm-hmm. right? So they get a $15 drug, they're charging 25, they're keeping 10. Okay. The industry, by the way, got a bad name because it was much more egregious than ten dollars a script. Yeah, I it was, that, yeah. and it was interesting to me because the literal name of Mark Cuban's like launch was cost, cost plus, plus, right? Yeah, which is a cost plus a number, which, by the way, is taking us back. That's spread. I mean, he's basically saying, "I'm going to charge you a plus margin on each drug, and that's going to be." Was there any validity to showing what the spread so is? So that's the okay. transparent okay. part: is he showing the spread, and you know, but it's what is the basis of cost? Where are you getting that basis yeah. of cost? And it's and that's where it gets a little bit more complex. And look, on certain drugs, he was blowing away every PBM. On some drugs, he wasn't as competitive because he didn't have the the market share, I right? See. And he didn't have the volume of script purchasing. Um, you know, look, I think as he evolves in the industry, I think he's going to be a, you know, he's going to be a player, mm-hmm. but you also have to understand being that I come from the underwriting side and I go through RFPs and we, you know, do postmortems when we don't win, we understand when we do win. I don't believe there's that much margin in this industry. I believe that every PBM mm-hmm. is within, if everybody is honest and everybody is using their negotiating power and everybody is using what they need to make to keep the lights on and i don't care how you bake that in is it from spread is it from a pepm is it from a per transaction is it from percentage of rebates whatever it is we should all be within three to four percent of each other there's just not that much margin when all factors are taken into account okay the question is what are you going to do about the claims what are you going you know i've always i hate this the typical phrase in our industry that the claims are the claims it bugs me when you hear that in stop loss Mm -hmm. it bugs me when you hear it from a carrier i truly believe that you know it's about strategy it's about partnership it's you know it's about not hiring a vendor that just is going to process claims Mm -hmm. and give you the best price because people buy insurance because people get sick People are buying these products because we have evolutions in healthcare and things are getting more expensive with those evolutions. And it's going to be, how are you going to contain cost and how are you going to manage my trend? Yes, yeah, so the claims are the claims is a, is a kind of a lazy response in my yes. opinion, because the claims are the claims unless you actually do something about them, whether prospectively or retroactively, there's things that you can do. 
Um, but the notion of that, well, those are just the claims right. and then my premium's a function of that. Well, you, you have no strategy then if that's your response. And, and conditions are conditions. Yeah. That you can say. The conditions are yeah. the conditions unless you're, you know, but again, I think, so, you know, to kind of summarize, I think that the, the PBM competition is great. I think it's causing more and more people to consider other solutions than the mm -hmm. big three PBMs. Mm -hmm. um, but I, again, I, I do believe this is a relationship business. And I think that at the end of the day, I think that, you know, the more PBMs are out there, it's it's good. Well, I'll um, say that the big thing for me is with that relationship is the trust, right? Like yeah. I have a very strong element of trust with you. When I ask you a question, I'm going to get a straight answer. So yeah. for me, that's good enough. Now, I obviously know that consultants have a lot more responsibility than I yes. do to, to dig into that and to ensure that trust. But for me, it, it starts with trust, right? Yep. And then what is that level of trust I have that you're going to give me the, the best answer for my client and you're going to do what you say you're going to do, which is where that really trust, that's the foundation of trust itself is yep. you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Um, I like stories, though, if we could pivot for a minute. Sure. Um, one of the reasons I like to get to know people as much as what they do is because there's always good stories there. I am sure in working this space for two decades that you've got some kind of wild stories or maybe most egregious thing you've seen or horror stories of PBM. So what comes to mind when I ask a, a question like, I think you said something about like repricing. Yeah, I mean, like I, th there's all kinds of games. And, you know, I think that, you know, we have seen, you know, a consultant once told me a story and then showed it to me because he wanted me to figure out what they were doing but basically you know he got so sick of all the, the pbm rfps and you know and everybody's showing these crazy savings and yeah and you know and here i am saying there's really only four or five percent so it's got to be in the strategy it can't just be in a reprice okay. unless you know again something's egregious but um he sent his own claim file like the the group's own claim file to the incumbent vendor so this, okay. this pbm it was their client he stripped it, made up a new name, new SIC code, gave him a new address, changed all the demographic, sent it to the PBM, and they saved 30% on their own claim on file, their own from, the claim file. from the previous year. Okay. And so it's what like, do you think's going on there then? So basically he he did. He went back to them and was like, you know, row, row, you know, you yeah. gotta and well, you've got some explaining to yeah, do here. Yeah. You know, how is this and they came back like oh, well, they're not in our high impact formulary and, you know, we're making certain assumptions that we can move these drugs to those drugs. And so all of a sudden, this amazing reprice, it was using different assumptions and okay. that they were like, we didn't realize, you know, it, it was, we're going to be able to do better on discounts next year. And so all of a sudden, you know, the PBM was left scrambling yeah. and making, but if this group is already in a formulary that was established by this PBM, it, it cast doubt, right? I mean, it basically said that there's no way that you're going to change everybody because you have them now. And if you can, Well, so didn't suggest you? the predicted future savings was misleading in order yes. to acquire the group? Okay. That's yeah, and, and, and that's, it, it's just, it, it sheds light on the games. Yeah, and, and, I hate that. And they had answers for it because they, they had to. No, of course. <laughs> but I, you know, I basically said, I'm like, get it in writing, man. Like say, like, that, that's what they're going to get next year. And no PBM is going to give you that in writing. Man, well, that, I mean, it, yeah, that sounds like a little bit of a game, but it's like the same thing, right? When you go get a cell phone and you're a new customer and you yeah. get a special deal and then all you find out over time, your costs end up creeping up or weren't exactly what you thought. I mean, I realize that you have to be super competitive and maybe, I don't want to say exaggerate, but show optimized savings potential on paper to get a group. I get that, but it gets egregious. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I think, you know, and it's, you know, look, we're learning that you know, there's PBMs out there that use like there are some of their programs to offset discounts. Yeah. I mean, and 
it's 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 just I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Well, to me, the the parallel in my world at PlanSite is uh, we we've talked to some of our customers that have used the system for a few years, and they tell us on average they save like three to five hours per RFP per year. Okay, that we've been told that that's a conservative number. Well, rather than me going out and say, well, I'll save you ten to fifteen hours per RFP and show this like enormous thousands upon thousands, we're going all right. Conservatively speaking, we know at least we can prove this. If it happens to be more than that. Well, awesome. Yeah, I, I over yep. over delivered. Yep. But if I over promise to acquire business, then I'm going to have some explaining to do if I wasn't be able to meet expectations. And, and that's if anybody listens to this, I hope consultants hold their PBMs accountable. Yeah. I mean, it's I don't think they do. I think that I think you put it in and then three years later you run it for our fee again. I, a lot of times um, or one year for those listening that are in favor of the one year contract. Um, I think it's it's just. Nobody looks six months later to see, well, what did they quote? How are they running? You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's amazing to me. Well, so, all right. So let's move on to kind of the subject that I think we were spend some time on. And, and it was a subject last episode, but I think is worthy to, to readdress is you call the uh, whole word, the rebate, the seven letter, four letter word. I so did. why? Yeah. And I know it's probably, you know, relevant to discuss even with well, the changes. Well, it's relevant your, because yeah. the HIM is evolving, but you know, I think, look, rebates can we explain rebates real quick yeah, in so case rebates, somebody I'll, I'll start i'll start again you know with with kind of just a high level you know rebates are essentially you know manufacturer dollars that are earmarked to offset the cost of their own medications that is what rebates are supposed to do okay. right i mean you think about buying a tv you get a rebate you know and and for many many years and and some rebates by the way are still set up like this today are there not just to offset the cost of their drug but they're all, they're almost commission. They're like uh, they're pushing their product. They are, you know, there are circumstances in some cases with rebates, you know, that that have to happen in order for a PBM to maximize on those rebates. And and what EHIM's philosophy always was was if we are taking these rebates or we are set up and by the way, we still believe this. If you are set up to maximize rebates, you are set up to maximize the highest cost medications out there. Okay. And that is where the true misalignment is with rebates. Mm. And, you know, when you talk about rebates and you look at, you know, how they inf impact formularies, I mean, rebates are why drugs can't shift to generic fast enough because rebate contracts or formularies may lock, you know, depending on the PBM's approach to rebates, they can lock a member into those rebates. Um, excuse me, they lock the plan into the rebates, meaning the drug has to stay on formulary. For example, okay. just last week, and, and again, um, for when this goes to air, you know, in the in February of 23, you know, we just found out that one of the diabetic medications, you know, the insulins out there was going to continue going down at a fraction of the cost. Ah. And so, you know, the question is, is, is everybody going to be able to take advantage of that? Well, if you have a rebate on a competitive product that locks that drug on your formulary, you know, basically the circumstance may be, you know, PBM, you're going to get a ton of rebate, but we want drug exclusivity. Mm. Meaning that drug is the only drug on your formulary. We don't care if another drug comes out that's pennies on the dollar. You can't cover it. You can't it. get it. Yeah. So that is the problem. And that was always EHIM's fundamental yeah. problem with rebates is we can't shift on a dime. You know, if EpiPen is doing the same thing and we can go get the generic, we wanted to be able to do that. And I don't think it was until the last couple of years, you know, where, you know, with more rebate aggregation and, and different ways to go about rebates, that that was, you know, kind of a shift. And, and some of these smaller PBMs have taken advantage of that in, in the pass through and transparent way. 
So as EHIM was evolving and, and figuring out, do we want to get involved with it? Do we give our claims to a rebate aggregator, right? And just let them go do it. So we can do our job first, right? We're going to work on maximizing the formulary, you know, but then listen, our whole thing was there was no money on the table. That was what I, you know, that mm -hmm. was the, the hook I held my hat on. I, you know, it evolved. And I think that with the aggregation and, and pharma getting the data they wanted a different way, there began, there began to be money on the table. Okay. And so, you know, listen, we were not there to do, do a disservice to our clients. The minute we realized it was time was when, you know, we kind of started saying, how can we be who we are? Mm -hmm. And now, you know, with the acquisition of ProCare, we get to be everything. Can you, can you still maintain that flexibility? Yes. Okay. So EHIM is always going to be a lowest net cost company. I mean, okay. that is who we Explain are. Explain lowest net cost. Sure. It means that we are going to, in every circumstance, whether it's specialty, whether it's brand, whether it's generic, over the counter, we are going to determine how our formulary should be structured based on the net net lowest cost to okay. the plan. Okay. Um, and we also want the freedom and flexibility to adapt, meaning if a drug like the diabetic medication goes lower, we want to immediately capitalize on that so our plan sponsors do. Yes, absolutely. Now, e EHIM can transparently say we do not collect rebates because that has always been our model. Mm -hmm. But now we have a different ownership structure, and ProCare does. ProCare is one of the largest re rebate aggregation companies in the country in the volume that they're able to get at. Mm -hmm. And so now our claims live on their platform. That platform is collecting rebates. And so those will flow through the plans. Um, but still with the idea of the lowest net cost. Not only that, actually the way we're evolving um, and what feels good to EHIM, and, and I gotta be telling you, what makes me excited to go to work, as corny as that is, is we have figured out how to do that transparently. Okay. We, Oh, go ahead. I know. I want to ask you because the transparency word is like everybody likes to talk yeah. about transparency. It depends on whose definition. Oh, yeah. Well, so what do we mean when we say we're maintaining that transparency? It means that we are going to actually show what's driving the rebates. Okay. We are going to show, you know, um, quite honestly, we can get down to the claim level. Okay. What is what are the drugs that drove it? These are, you know, this was why it was there. There was not a lower costing alternative. Like it, it basically says We've done every, just like we always have in specialty drugs yeah. and in the different categories, we are going to do everything we can to make sure we mitigate risk mm. and that we, you know, take care of the members, we get the patients the drugs they need, but at the lowest cost possible. And then if there is anything left over and there is a rebate, we're going to pass that through back to the plan sponsor. Right. And, and we're going to do it as quick as possible. We're not going to hold on, you know, a lot of PBMs hold on to rebates for months at a time. You know, we've seen there's usually a six to 12 month lag. Was well, is, is a rebate treated almost like uh, premium and float in the insurance industry? In where some they're capacity, making money? yes. Okay. I, I think in the BUCAs it is. Um, okay. I think that's how they do their admin fee credits and, and they, they kind of, you know, adjust accordingly. Mm. Um, I think that some PBMs will give out rebates quicker, but they true up at the end of the year and, ah. you know, and they take it from different buckets, um, you know, I believe it all gets to how close you are to the source of rebates. And, mm. and that's the other piece that I've learned. And, you know, and listen, I've had a crash course in rebates to a new level than I ever was exposed to. Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, the first night, Spencer, I heard about it. You, you know, you mentioned I'm as honest as a fault. I mean, I, I heard about, you know, kind of some of our groups. And in the last, you know, year or two, how there could be money extra. And I, I had a really hard time with it. I mean, uh -huh. I, I got emotional. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I went home and, you know, I cried. I was like, have I been not telling, you know, the, the yeah, truth? Yeah. And it, it was it was our truth. It was EHIM's yeah. truth. And, and it was the way we, we did our job. 
And that night, you know, I called one of my mentors in this industry and I said, you know, what if I was wrong? What if there is, you know, I've, I've gone toe to toe with people. And, and this person said back to me, they go, how did your groups perform? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, they performed. We wouldn't have been in business. Yeah. You know, we were able to substantiate. And she said, that's all you need to know. Yeah. And now you basically get to tell people you've got a, another way to get better. Well, that's not, the way I look at it is like, obviously the podcast self-funded with Spencer, a huge advocate of self-funding. Yeah. But if a group is fully insured, do I get to say they're wrong for being fully insured? No, no. it's for their particular circumstances. Yeah. They made that decision for a whole host of reasons and they stay or chose to be fully insured because of those reasons. Yep. Now, could I maybe present a better argument or could a consultant come in and unpack why maybe they shouldn't be fully insured? Sure. But that group still gets to make that decision. Is that right for them or not? So is there a right or wrong or is there a great area depending on perspective? And and I think with anything and any business, and even if it's something you, like I said, you know, hung your hat on, you have to evolve. You have, Mm -hmm. otherwise you, you lose opportunity and, and you, you know, risk not being relevant. Yeah. And so I believe, you know, again, it's funny. We were just, I hate that I've used, I'm realizing now how many times I've said the word transparent, you know, we were just challenged by our our own um, team to come up with our pitch not using that word Uh because it is it's an expectation these days everybody's transparent i mean stable stakes right it is yeah and so you know the 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 evolution of that is show it Mm -hmm. how do you use it Mm -hmm. you know what does it mean to a group what does it mean financially Mm. um you know and and i think that you know we've we've got past the how do pbms make money i mean you could have a whole podcast just on that Okay, fine. PBMs are going to make money, but how are you going to provide value? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I want to go back to something we were talking about earlier because it's, it interests me, but I think it might be relevant to the conversation. You touched on there's a lot of private equity money coming mm-hmm. into this space. Um, depending on you, where you sit and your perspective, that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah. So weigh in on, uh, I, I understand the reasoning. There's opportunity like yeah. we talked about earlier, but what do you think the influence of the private equity money is going to do to the PBM space? I've already seen it. It's okay. changing some of the most amazing PBMs that are out there because they're losing focus on what they did to begin with. So changing pe- potentially for a negative, uh, in a negative way. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, they're, they're changing the, you know, the structures, they're changing the model, they're changing because they're looking at maxing profitability mm-hmm. and they're getting closer and closer to being like, quite honestly, like the big three. Yeah. yeah. I'd love, I'd love a private equity based PBM. If, if anybody listens to this podcast to reach out to me and say, here's, you know, for, not competitively, but I, I you know, I, I love connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's, we just, we're seeing it change the scope of, of, you know, what I think PBMs were trying to do in the beginning, which was the right thing. Yeah. And I mean, private equity is, 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 but it's not always a look, my husband's employed by a firm that's private equity. Well, I'm a good friend that's a private equity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I think private equity can it's also, pervasive though, right? I think private equity can also, you know, um, pour gas on a fire. It can uh-huh. help, you know, get more exposure. It can help with marketing. It can help with, you know, changing, you know, the way you approach a client sale. I mean, there's a lot of cool things private equity can do. Yeah. I, I don't want to totally discharge it, but it's... Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it always interests me when, like, you find out the money's starting to pour in or has been pouring into our space, you know, and for good reasons, but also because, you know, they're they're in it to make money and... Uh, and also, what's the end game? Because yeah. I find when a lot of private equity yeah. buy something, they're also trying to bundle it all up to go... Sell it. Sell it. And so profit. it's, yeah. again, so it's, I don't know, I... I 
I think that it's it's an interesting time. Well, and it's it's almost like hot potato though. It's like you package it up, you sell it to somebody else, and they have to go try to do the same thing and sell it to somebody yep. else. Who's left holding the bag at the end of the day with something that's way over or overvalued, right? And they're they're left with going, well, I we can't make money on this now. I think that's it's a little bit of a hot potato to whoever stuck with uh, the businesses at the end. Yep. Uh, but that's just that's just my my perspective. Um, I want to ask you though, if I know my audience is predominantly brokers, right? The yeah. most, most people that find value, I think, based on the conversations I have are brokers. Let's put my broker hat on for a minute, if you don't mind. And let's talk about what are the things that I, as a consultant, that maybe isn't as experienced in the PBM world of validating and vetting these PBMs, what questions should I go in on, and ask on behalf of my employer? Sure. Understanding um, the services the PBM provides. I think that's the first and most important thing. And understanding, you know, how they, what their strategy of attack is, mm -hmm. you know, right? I mean, obviously you have to make sure that the PBM can financially justify, but I, I don't think most PBMs are going to show negative, you know, quoting and, and pricing. So it's, it's all about what are the guarantees? What are, the, what is the PBM willing to, um, you know, stand behind as well from a service perspective? And what access to data will you have as a consultant? Okay. And, and how quickly and, and what level and, you know, Will the PBM work with you on that data? Because data is only, that's another like misused thing I think in yeah. our business is everybody wants data. What are you going to do with yeah, it? Yeah. And, and talk about, you know, consultants seem to understand if they have all this data, how will you help them use it? Yeah. Well, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had uh, the guy, the CEO of Handle Health on, and he's like, yeah, we have these files with like, I have thousands of terabytes of data and trillions of lines of like claims. It's like that data is so overwhelming, even to the most sophisticated machines, unless you could do something with it and yeah. turn it into usable data. It's just, it's, it's garbage, right? And who's the onus on it to do something usable? I think that, you know, the data I think is used a lot for shopping, which is okay. And that's, if that's what you want to do. But I think it's, you know, look, as a PBM saying, look, we noticed through your data, you don't have a lot of compliancy with, you know, diabetic meds, or, you know, we've noticed an uptick in, you know, pain medication mm -hmm. and narcotics. And, you know, maybe we need to put in a program. Maybe we need to work together. Maybe we need to look at what's happening on the medical side. You know, it's, it's, it's working together. Well, and how do you, how do you keep your PBM honest throughout the relationship? So let's say I've, I've chosen EHIM and I'm, I'm happy with what you've presented as services. It's things are going well. How do I continue to make sure that you are staying true to your word and delivering on sure. the value? I think it's through discount audits and making sure okay. that, you know, that that stays stable. I think it's making sure that there's not um, a lot of spikes and spend that okay. are not, you know, anomalies. You're going to have anomalies. But I think that it's making sure, you know, you know, the industry has seen double digit increases. Mm -hmm. Our PBM, and again, I don't mean this to be a commercial, but our PBM has been able to maintain for pretty much more than a decade, less than 5% trend. Okay. And by the way, we did that with no rebates. We did that with a lot of different things and levers we have access to now, which is great, but you know, we still stand behind who we were before. And I think it's a matter of if your PBM is not amazing in certain categories, then you have to figure out why. Okay. Okay. Well, and then I, I would love for the uh, you to weigh in on, on the, the vetting of these vendors in the first place, right? Like yeah. I know, and we've experienced this ourselves, spreadsheeting a PBM is pretty difficult to do because it doesn't necessarily tell the story. We're, we're working on that. But I realize that's one of those things because of the complexity of it. You don't just put it on a, p a piece of paper, an Excel document, or in, inside a plan site and truly deliver what exactly is different uh, between those PBMs. So how would I vet? Sure. sure. So I think, you know, look, there's a huge industry of PBM consultants that are out there now um, that can help consultants that are out there. And, and I think 
forget vetting the individual PBM. If you want to vet PBM consultants, you know, I think the key is, is making sure that their incentives are aligned with yours, you know, okay. and the client. Um, and, and I say that because I see RFPs. You know, I, I always question, we see, far, you know, everything gets down to getting paid a fair amount of money yes. to do the service you're yeah. providing, yeah. right? And, and that's, everybody's holding us to those regards, right, in the PBM industry. It should go true for everybody that's involved, right? We see consultants out there, and I'm not obviously going to name any, but we've seen PBM consultants that charge more admin fees to manage the program than the PBM that's actually processing mm -hmm. the claims and mm -hmm. doing the work. Yeah. And so I think it's it's making sure, you know, that you understand, and, and again, understanding the goal of the client and understanding what is it that is they want, you know? Maybe it's a client that wants everybody to have Optum on their ID card because that's the name you know and they know they're paying a premium. Well, mm. then don't look at PBMs like us because that's not what they want. Yeah. Maybe they do want to watch their spend and they really do, you know, want to get down to the brass tacks and they really want to understand, you know, where all the money is. Well, then work with a PBM that's transparent, mm. but write your RFP that way. Okay. And, and that's the other thing that I think consultants need to understand is, you know, even though we have access to rebates and we have all these thing programs now, if I see an RFP say, show me how you're going to maximize the rebates, we're going to decline it. It's really? not the right fit yeah. for us. Okay. We don't want to maximize rebates. We want to minimize them and, you know, really try to get them as close to zero as possible because it means you manage the plan right, right. you know? That's the whole thing like taxes, right? You don't want to maximize rebate at the end of the year when you pay your taxes because that means you overpaid and floated the government uh, alone. I love when people get to there because it means I did a good job explaining Well, good. It. Okay. Yes. I, I try to do that. Like, yes, how can no, I relate yeah, it to I, something? I've used that as an example, but the fact that you got there before I was able to means I did a good job explaining Well, I guess it. I'm listening. Yeah, no, it's awesome. awesome. Well, I, I want to ask you if, you, if you don't mind, um, specialty is always this sort of like hot subject. Uh, you, yep. you talked about it earlier. I think maybe there's some recent stuff that's happened, perhaps some flexing against some of these carve outs so, that's going on. So yeah, what's happening so, there? So here, I think, listen, first to, you know, understand what, what you're talking about is that there are a number of manufactured programs out there from these very, well, there's two buckets. You've got very high cost specialty drugs where, you know, aside from comp competition in the class mm -hmm. of drugs, there aren't other options, right? It's not like somebody with severe rheumatoid arthritis can go pop an Advil every morning mm -hmm. and like that's like a, a, a you know a good substitution. And so within that class, there are a large number of manufacturer programs out there that are intended to offset member responsibility. Okay. Okay. Um, I will say that there are those types of coupons in regular brand drugs, but those are a little different. Um, those are actually out there to keep people on expensive brand drugs and maybe not go take a generic and, and to mm -hmm. not go do these okay. you know, types of things. Yeah. So these programs are out there, and I think that what has happened is, look, there was opportunity for employers to save money, um, but it wasn't intended for employers. It was intended for members. And what you got was an entire subset of an industry in the PBM space of these, you know, and I air quote, carve out vendors where they are not PBMs. All they were doing was carving a category of drug away from the PBM. Okay. And they were going after these programs on behalf of the plan sponsor and charging a fee to go do, you know, these programs that really were out there for members mm -hmm. and making money on them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you are talking about is, you know, recently one of the manufacturers kind of slammed by name these companies that oh, are wow. out there. Yeah, no, they actually came out and said, you know, these are coupons for members. You know, we will not work with X company, Y company, and Z company. Oh, literally name names. They publicly. literally name okay. names because they became aware of these carve out, you know, 
competitors. We as a PBM aren't doing these carve-out kind of programs. You know, really, we manage specialty drugs. And, and what we do is we implore strategies and we work with members. And, again, we're trying to work with their own out-of-pockets. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, our approach has been not to play games within the formulary, but to build formularies that are there to, you know, mitigate risk and also make sure that the members have the best out-of-pocket experience possible. What do you think the response will be from the specialty carve-out entities to, to, to kind of respond and combat this blacklisting, if you will? From... I'm sure they'll evolve okay. like anybody. I mean, again, it's um, they're not bad guys. They're there to, again, I mean, they're there to serve a function. They're there to employ people and to make money. But their overall function is in the right space. I mean, they're trying to help employers, help people save money. I think that, you know, for PBMs and it, that, you know, are the ones that um, are not putting in strategies and are not, you know, like, for example, that are maximizing rebates, mm -hmm. that it behooves them to have the most expensive drugs out there. They'll find a new way to do what it. What do you think those 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 third-party vendors that, that are doing this were were essentially created as a function of the deficiency of the PBMs that in the first place it. that weren't doing yeah, it properly. 100%. So they just said, we'll go and do it better, right? Or we'll carve that out and we could do it better. But now they've done it perhaps too well or marketed themselves too much to be on the radar. Yeah. And now they're getting some pushback is what Correct. I'm hearing. Okay. Okay. So I always love the, like, what is the current state of the union? What's happening? You know, we look at, you know, the big three PBMs or you look at the BUCAs, like, They've got a lot of power behind them. They've got a lot of will. They yep. can flex their might, right? And so this notion of some of the things that we would think should be done in the best interest of the employer objectively doesn't mean there won't be pushback uh, for no, some and, of these and things. And again, it all gets back to the very first thing we started talking about, which is what is driving your formulary? What is driving the PBM to operate? Mm -hmm. You know, and there's a lot of PBMs that are, you know, they say they, 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 they talk the talk. No PBM is marketing themselves as the most expensive player in town. Yeah, yeah. But look at the results, look at their trend, look at, you know, I mean, Humira skyrocketed, you know, to the number one drug, specialty drug in the country a couple of years ago. How did that happen? Did we have an epidemic? No, like it just was marketed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it doesn't, of course we have Humira go through our books. I mean, it's, you know, but what is the PBM's overall approval rating of that drug? And, you know, what is, you know, where is, are they trying to mitigate and, and you know, step therapy, et cetera. Well, as we, uh, as we zoom out and sort of kind of go into the end of the podcast and we'll be future looking of kind of like what you think the future state of the union will be. I do want to weigh on a kind of a relevant uh, drug right now that's been in the news, the uh, Ozempic. Yep. So tell me what that is and what is the debate that's kind of raging right now about it? Yeah. So Ozempic, you know, what they learned about it um, and disclaimer, I am not a pharmacist, nor am I a doctor. This Neither is just I. me reading and understanding, okay. <laughs> um, just for, the, for readers out there. Um, and the liability of the self-funded with Spencer understood, podcast. Understood, understood. Um, Ozempic, I, I believe, was proven. Um, you know, it's a diabetic, it's a type, I think type one or type, it's type two diabetic medication, um, or it can be used for type one. And what they realized was in certain people, it was uh, causing weight loss. And okay. so, you know, they got FDA approval. It does have other names, Wagovi. There's a number of um, lookalikes out there. But essentially, it is being used. It was being used at first off-label, but now it's being used FDA approved. So it would be on-label um, on for weight loss. For okay. weight loss. Okay. And, you know, so what is the debate about? The debate about is, is weight loss. You okay. know, it's 15, this is not my opinion, but, you know, 15 years ago, you know, when, I, when, when you have a self-funded pharmacy plan as an employer, 
you literally are picking every category of medication and how you want to cover it. You know, there are some laws, you know, with PPACA, et cetera, you know, that you have to cover. But there are some things that you, as an self-funded employer, unless your state mandates it, that you get to choose on. Like, for example, fertility drugs. Unless you're in New Jersey, for example, they mandate in a self-funded plan you have to cover them. Um, but an employer here in Texas, they get to decide, do we want to cover them? Do we not? What's our, and they look to the PBM, well, what's our risk? What's our exposure? What's it going to do to stop loss, et cetera. And one of the categories that was always on that list was anti-obesity drugs, mm. because that's been a category for many, many years. Okay. Um, and ironically, it was really cheap. It was just a category of drugs that many employers would say, no, we're not covering anti-obesity drugs. Mm. And the debate is, is weight loss, excuse me, is obesity a system of, you know, is it a choice or is it a disease? A disease yeah. And that's where you're getting into, you know, arguments on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, I'm here from a risk side, just yeah. like you. Yeah. You know, and disease or not, it has so many com comorbidities Absolutely. that follow yeah. it. Yeah. And, you know, the question is, is, you know, and look, now we're on a side where we can look at what are the rebates on this drug? What is the true net cost of the plan, uh -huh. you know, if you cover it? And what are is you it, spending? If it is a disease state, then it would be covered by insurance, or right? Or is that Well, that's it's a philosophical thing right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of where you're getting into because if you look at any SBC, excuse me, not SBC, SPD, you know, you are finding specific language that does or does not cover weight loss mm. surgeries and or medications with it. Okay. So it's like what, you know, and, and again, you would know more than I, are bariatric as a rule typically covered or is it not? Actually, I think that is a, I think that's a choice, right? I think it actually has to be written into the plan. So it's very similar. So okay. it's, it's, it's a matter of, you know, but like there are arguments and good ones that it's just as important as you know, diabetes, cholesterol. Well, yeah, I would agree. Like, there's there's a really good philosophical debate that I would actually like to see waged publicly about this very thing because there is an aggregate impact to if we can get 10 or 20% of our population to drop 30 or 40 pounds or 50 pounds and no longer be categorized as obese and have the, the comorbidities the, the, that the you're The problem about. specific to, you know, Zempic is, is we don't know how long people are going to be on it. Uh -huh. We don't know what the yeah. – there's a lot of – question but i know people who have been on it and are like having amazing results yeah i want to say the efficacy doesn't sound like it's in question for that that purpose but what are the unintended right. consequences and so but again people are making decisions mm. and that's you know their choice and, and and again it gets back to well what should the employer pay for you know and you know should we you know I, again this is my opinion this is not something HIM is leading with but I, I imagine we'll enter a world where it will be covered but it'll be for six months okay. or there will be a cap on it I and see. that those are the kind of things that I think will be conversations and that that way an employer knows their risk they know you know that they that they're making it's just like you know commit to quit programs you know and smoking cessation and all these other things we've seen employers for years say we're going to pay for well now it's part of PPACA but you know years ago it was like we're going to pay for six months and after that, if it doesn't work, it's on you. You yeah. know, just different things. I see. Okay. Well, I appreciate you weighing in on that, and I didn't necessarily prepare you Pun for intended. that. Pun ah, intended. Ah, yeah, that's okay. funny. Oh, we should stop there. Uh, no, I want to ask you just kind of the future uh, real quick, Rachel. Obviously, you have really keen insight of what, what's going on current day, but also perhaps where we are heading in the world of PBM. So give me, uh, obviously, this might just be your personal opinion, but I want to hear what you think the future of the PBM space might look like. I think the future of the space is going to continue to evolve. I think that um, 
with all the reporting mandates that just went down and that were in the process. I mean, they were delayed in December, but right. there is a lot of data that PBMs have been required to report uh-huh. um, that literally tracks the dollar. It's going to track the rebates. It's going to show, you know, I mean, for some of these companies that are out there that have their entire, you know, earnings have come from rebate dollars they were withholding, you know, I mean, again, and this is... So there's going to be some exposure? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. And I, but look, I, the, the pessimist in me is like, well, then they're just going to figure out a new way to, you know, to do it. But yeah. I, I think that it's going to have more questions. Mm. And the more questions people ask about our industry, the better we're going to get. Look, all these new PBMs that are out there, I didn't say they were bad. I mm. think some of them, you know, I, I'll be honest, I see some of their press releases, I see things on LinkedIn, and I'm forwarding them. I'm like, this is cool. We yeah. got to figure this out. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, imitation is the, is the what do they say? Is the, is the, the sincere sincere form, form of flattery. Of flattery. Yeah. I mean, it's because I think their PBMs doing some really cool things. Yep. And so the better we do, the better we manage, the more we take onus that we're just not an, you know, an AWP pricing engine. That's, by the way, how PBMs compete or NADAC or, you know, there's a lot of different get the discounts out of there talk about what we're going to do to create healthier people and manage the risk i love it that's going to be the future i love it well so pbm princess yeah i'm going to give you the floor okay uh closing thoughts what do you want the audience to be thinking about that it doesn't have to be such a complex industry i think that anybody listening out there with any self-funded group Make your groups examples. Figure out what's working, what's not. How do you make it better? You know, I mean, we've got case studies upon case studies. Use your groups and figure out why they're a case study for good or a case study for bad, and then work with partners to to, to tell the story. Because if each individual employer group is able to tell a story that's you know a good or bad, and then fixed, then you're really challenging you know the norm, and you're really stepping up. And you're you know you see this in the RBP space, you see this in medical, but the more creativity that's implored in PBM, the better outcomes we're going to see. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming in. Thanks for uh, having me. I really me. appreciate you updating me on the PBM world, and it's something that I think I need to continually be updated on. Well, so you maybe know we'll... my goal is, I don't know if you're familiar with Saturday Night Live, where like the hosts that come five times like, oh, yeah. get a jacket. Like, I'm oh, running. Want... I want to self-funded with Spencer, like, you know, get... like ribbon or something. Well, okay. I'll, I'll have to figure out what you, know, you have to is. figure out what multiple guests get. Do you know what? Like the Steve Martin, you yeah. know? like. Well, I do have, I'll le- let you leave at least with a self-funded with Spencer poker chip, but okay, that, awesome. that'll be a small token of my appreciation. Well, no, I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm gunning for it. So. Well, so when, yeah, the first one to get the five, it may be Chris Hamilton, because quite frankly, I just have had reasons to get him on a lot, Yeah. but I like that. Well, no, I mean, it could it's be It's the it version be a of class. the green jacket. Or, yes, yeah, you, you yeah, know what I'm talking about. I like that. Okay, yeah. awesome. Well, you'll, you might be the second one to get that one then, but I appreciate you, Rach, and we'll let you get on your day. I know you got some calls and things like that, but always a pleasure. Always. I can't right. wait to see where we are a year from now. I love it. See ya.